Everything in life is story. Story is how we share ideas, politics, vision, fantasies, experiences, even our hopes and dreams. The Gibson Gazette is a podcast show devoted to story, those we consume, those we tell ourselves, and those told to us. Hello, hello, party people. This is your girl, AMC, on the mic. And I'm here with our boy, LMG. What is good, my dear? How you doing? I am um, present and grateful. Yes. (laughs) This is what we say when we don't want to complain. Present and grateful. (laughs) Church stomp. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, I hear that. This has been a mixed bag of a week. And um, I have a lot of work on my plate coming up in the next two weeks. So I'm Mm. just kind of trying to prepare myself, zen myself for... Starting with the next four days, they're going to be like back to back. Rock'em mm. Sock'em Robot. <laughs> he <laughs> went there. Rock'em Sock'em. <laughs> yeah, I definitely <laughs> aged myself. I'm, I'm good with that. It's, it is what it is. <laughs> That's it. It is what it is. I hear you, though. It's It's been that type of week, really. It's been up, down. I think life, media, the world. I mean, it's nonstop, nonstop. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, as as we uh, on the verge of another world war, war. Mm. Can I say war? Can I get it out of my life? War, war. <laughs> <laughs> another world war. Say that three times really fast. World war. Um, world so, war. The, mm-hmm. Oh, look at you. Oh, looks okay. Showing off. Um, hey? Yes. Uh, so as we are on the brink of that, as we kick, as we kiki about that. Um, mm. Yes. Yes. It's. Um, you know, for those who may not be paying attention to anything in the global news, uh, Russia began to invade the Ukraine today. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what that means, there is a wonderful TikTok video that's gone viral of a sister telling that in the most street terms possible. <laughs> I have to figure oh, out. Oh, I have I to see that. Find... Yeah, I'll see if I can. Um, what I'll do is I'll, by the time this episode goes up, it will be in the description so that people can link to it. Um, but it went viral and she broke it down for the most hoodest of hoodest uh, mm. MF can figure out what it is that she's saying and, and what's going on. <laughs> uh, it, it is fun, though. It is a very fun video. And I, I, of course, I subscribed after I saw the video. Mm. OK, well, that did it then. That did it. So what's what's on deck this week? Are we going to check in? We're going to start with the checking in. What stories have you been consuming over the last two weeks that you want our audience to know about, but not going to go too deep in today? Like, you go first today. I always go first. You go first, uh, you, well, honey, I, buddy. You know, you're, you're just so good at it. You know, you're just like, <laughs> uh, oh, you're, you're, that, you're, that, you're that one. You know, your mama watches, mm-hmm. so listen, so I can't be calling you, you that B, right? Like, <laughs> but, um, you know, I won't have your mama coming after me with, you know, machete. Um, <laughs> she feisty too, so. Mm. I, I've, I, I have, I've met her daughter, so of course <laughs> I already know. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I have been checking out things like the, uh, what was it, the Tinder Swindler? That was a lot of fun. Yes! Right? You know, uh, 
about um, what I what I pointed out, and it's on Netflix for those who don't know what we were talking about. It's a documentary about a con artist who con has conned over ten million dollars, I think, worth of goods and money and uh, trips and hotels and all kinds of things um, mm-hmm. out of women um, through Tinder. And right. so the, the Tinder swindler and you know, when they finally caught up with him because the documentary. So of course, you know, they caught up with him. Uh, he only ended up getting, uh, I think two years imprisonment and only served five months of those two years in an Israeli jail and, Insane. and, and, and got away with not really paying back significant restitution. And that all of his victims mm-hmm. are still paying off their bills from his fraud. So, yeah. But the thing that I told people that stood out to me the most about the Tinder Swindler documentary was the fact mm-hmm. that all of these white women, um, European white women, because a lot of his victims were from Europe and literally from Europe, uh, mm-hmm. were able to get multiple five and six figure loans, sometimes within the same week from multiple banks. I'm like, Crazy, where, right? where, 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 where can I get a $50,000 loan without significant collateral as a black man anywhere in the world like that? Much less like multiple, like some of these women were able to get five and six different five and, and six figure loans from multiple mm-hmm. different banks, all within like a two and three week period, sometimes a month period. And I was, I, that was as fascinating to me as what he did. And they were so nonchalant about it. You know, I was getting scared. I was getting, I was getting afraid as I was getting the next loan. And I'm like, well, bitch, you was able to get the loan. How, like, how you, you know, like, I'm supposed to feel sorry for you. Like, you were able to get the loan. Like, you put all those loans together. You could have bought a house in some small town. Like, Sir, let me tell you. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, I can't get a down payment for a cat. So, uh, you know, I... (laughs) (laughs) So So that's where I was with the tender swindler, you know, but we're not going to go too much deeper than that. Like, I I mean, what what are you checking out? Man, you you can't say all that, and I can't say nothing about the tennis Listen, I mean, man, you can go ahead, y'all. Go just ahead. watch it, please. Just just watch it. I mean, it's it's it was extremely fascinating to me because it was it was like another level of catfishing. Because at first I was like, you know, y'all stupid, you're real stupid, and then I was like, but at the same time. You guys, you know, usually with catfishing, you don't meet the person. You don't see the person. You only get the voice if you're lucky, right? In this instance, they met him. He took them, you know, sprinkled a little trust in the situation. Took them on a private plane. Took them on took private plane. Took them to fancy dinners. That's right. Got a little we booty that first, on the first night. night. So Everybody gave it up on the first night. Nobody Everybody. Went. It was <laughs> that jet, man. It was the jet. Okay. <laughs> these these chicks out here just like oh okay it's you know life grandiose looking for like fifteen thousand dollars they were trying to secure the apartment yes i mean mean, all con artists operate on hope and optimism right like and Mm -hmm. so he understood that the hope and optimism of these women was to be able to secure and a reasonably attractive i mean he's not fine he like you know no, okay. but he's not an ugly person either. Right, he wasn't. And he an was ugly well person, put together. Right? Like, right, he was well put together, very well dressed. Mm-hmm. They all talked about how mm-hmm. he smelled. They all talked about you know the Rolex watches, the cologne, the um, the, the fake couture. Rolex watches. 
Well, I mean, well, yeah, the, the couture, you know, so, you know, he was a, a very well put together person and, mm-hmm. you know, he presented the hope, like the hope of lots of girls around the world are fed these kind of princess whipped off their feet by the rich man fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he played upon that hope to get the money. So he, they're thinking they're securing the bag and, while he's actually securing the bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> While he's telling one chick, oh, the credit card is not working. It's not working. Please let it work. It has to work. The man is in like Ibiza, like chilling with his other model girlfriend, spending all the damn money. Like, I, oh, my God. Y'all just watch it. Please watch it. Watch it. And on the other end of that, I was obsessed with inventing Anna. <laughs> so... You guys, so are, we gonna, if are, we you have, into, are we still on the checking in or are we on love? We're going to. We're sliding in on the checking in, actually. Oh, okay. I love this, but we're going to okay. check in on this one. Yeah, you guys, in- Inventing Anna. So, I mean, it's a Shondaland production. Does anything else need to be said? Really? It's, it's Shonda. So wherever she is producing, writing, I'm there. So st- stemming off of her, like, huge deal from Netflix, she's bringing us the story of Anna Delvey, young Russian-German arrogant as ass intelligent swindler i'm gonna give her that because girl was smart she was smart as hell not gonna take that away from her um and she pretended to be a fake heiress and descended upon new york socialite circles and she conned her way all the way up through high society and business deals and and everything and she left a trail of unpaid hotel receipts so that and while you were talking about the tinder swindler i was like you see these hotel receipts Bitch, you know people be looking at us about where's your credit card first day as soon as you get there and step in the hotel. And if you don't have a credit card, you're not getting a room. Miss Lady was like, oh, you know who I am. You know who I am. And that went very far. So that privilege, let me tell you, it got her far to the point where she was leaving all $30,000 hotel receipts in, 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 her, in her trail. So, you know, it, it was just nuts. It was crazy. So this whole thing was actually um, from New York uh, Magazine. It was by a journalist, mm-hmm. Jessica Pressler. And um, it just, it, it took off. It took off. It was, I just, it was nuts. It really, really was nuts. And it was awesome to see our girl Ruth from Ozark, Julia Garner. She killed it. She really, really did. Her, she did, um, but she looks way better than the person that she's portraying. Like She does. She does. She does. <laughs> Honestly, she does. I'm going to agree with you on that. Because um, when I, I had to go snooping on her Instagram after to see what she was about. And I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, but but they kept. So that was one of the, the, the drawbacks for me. Like they kept talking about she wasn't cute and she had a potato face. And, you know, of course, she nobody. That she had, she had the, that she had. That was literally a quote from one of the people in the film. Right. Like really? <laughs> that she that she had a poppers like that. Real, oh, real yeah, people with money. Right, real people with money aren't cute like that, right? Like they have yes. inbred potato faces, and and he was yes. like that she had that. Meanwhile, you know, Ruth on Ozark is, I mean, she's not a stunningly beautiful person, but she is an attractive woman. Like, in, mm-hmm. and in some mm-hmm. of those shots, she was bet more than attractive. You know, she was beautiful in mm-hmm. some shots. So yeah, it, it that part was kind of like. Y'all, y'all could have, y'all could have at least cast a regular, given an opportunity for a regular <laughs> smegular girl, you know, who might have been able to nail that accent because that accent was like 
What's, what's the satire girl? I want to see it. Well, the thing is that she was half Russian and half German. So there's a video that's actually going around with um um what's her name um what's her real name um Julia uh, Garner. Del- oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Julia Garner. Um. And um, she was mm-hmm. talking about, yeah, the actress, and she was talking about how she loves to do accents. Because really, Julie, I didn't even know that she had no accent. I thought she was toting that accent that Ruth has been, <laughs> that Ruth has been taking around with her all over Ozark. So to to even hear her speak, to, you know, just plain old regular English with no accent, I was like, oh, whoa. So the fact that she actually took that, she said that, um, uh, Anna Delvey's accent is actually a mishmash of Russian and German. So that's where that came from. And she was practicing that day in and day out. And she takes like pride and really likes to um, do accents. And it seems to suit her. I think it seems to suit her. She did a pretty good job to me. I, I think she did really well. And I have to mention the scene stealer too, Neff, her best friend who's played by Alexis Floyd. She was stellar. I thought she was dope. She the blood is girl. hilarious. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She's from Cleveland. She was awesome. She was fantastic. So this is, it, it was really interesting to watch. And then um, I was doing some reading and she has a documentary that's coming up with the team um, from uh, Bun and Murray Productions. So all the people that mm-hmm. bring you Surviving R. Kelly, Kardashians, and all of them people. Uh, she has a documentary coming up, and they're going to pick up from where Anna left off um, with eventing Anna and um, go into more of her day-to-day life after prison and how her life is going. And I mean, right now, my understanding is she's just fighting deportation, right? Like, that that's kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. ICE has her on lock right now. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been kind of the challenge there. And, of course, as is... You know, we talked about two different con artists. She actually served more years for her crime. Still not as many years as sure anybody did. black would have gotten for doing that crime. But <laughs> but still, she served more years than he did mm-hmm. and um, and has suffered more consequences as a result of her actions than he did. So yep. and, and is even paying more restitution. So my understanding is that like she, I think she's got like 300000 or something for this opportunity with Netflix. Um, yeah, but most of that, though. yeah, but most of that went back went to the restitution fund for the people she swindled. So, right. Well, meanwhile, I mean, dude shit. is dude is uh, doing uh, business workshop webinars and workshops for people and coaching for people for hundreds of dollars a pop. <laughs> I saw Israel. a video of his this morning. How he's saying, oh, he's gonna move to Toronto because if he, it was going around um, socials, how he's he said, oh my, my people, uh, the people, what did he call them? The uh, my enemies, my enemies are following me, and my enemies are looking for me, so I'm gonna have to move to Toronto. Everybody was like, nah, bro, don't come here. Well, of course, you know, he said he's <laughs> he's gonna sue Netflix. He's gonna sue the producers yes, and everybody. Um, meanwhile, we like, bro, the receipts on you are deep and vast, so. You know, just be glad you got off the way you did. And you're still driving around in sports cars and you're still wearing couture and you're mm-hmm. still selling false dreams. So patriarchy. Yep. Gotta love it. The swift oh, smell. Patriarchy in the air. Mm. It smells um, like voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get started with our next segment. Loving it. So, oh, but before we do that, let me remind you to be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share on whatever platform you're listening to or watching us on. 
Also comment or review where possible so that we can climb the charts of the various platform algorithms this show is on. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, loving it. What are you loving, AMC? Well, I am here for everything Jordan Peele today. Jordan has decided to drop his little trailer for his new movie coming up called Nope. And let me tell you, I'm uh, quite intrigued. You know, as usual, he just drops something that'll just pull you left, right, and center, and you, you have no idea what direction things are coming from. You don't know what the hell is going on, but he leaves you intrigued. And that's exactly what he did. He delivered a cryptic trailer as per usual. He gives just enough information to have you questioning your fears and your sanity. Like, I, 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 I have to wonder sometimes where his mind goes when he's producing these things. Um, and when he brings a project to life, because it's usually magnificent and terrifying and also um, thought provoking which is what I really love about his his um his movies. So um it starts with um the the trailer actually starts with uh, Daniel Kalua and Kiki Palmer and I think Stephen Ewan is in it as well. Mm-hmm. And and so in typical fashion there's not much to go off of as I said earlier. If you watch a trailer, you're aware that it's a setting on a black ranch and they're up against something that's in the sky. That's all you know. We don't know what exactly is going on. I mean, you you figure it's aliens, right? So, but whatever the phenomena is, it's a nerve the horses. And you know, when animals go crazy, that's when you should be on, <laughs> be on your mark, get ready, and get set to go. Um, we're all doomed. So, <laughs> well, don't forget um, what the acronym stands for. What? Oh, you don't know what no? the acronym stands for? Oh, I do yeah. not. Oh, I love it when I can. Oh, I love it. I get to educate the educators. Yes, yes. So, nope is an acronym, and it stands Uh for not of planet Earth. Ah, well, then there it is, folks. (laughs) There it is. I did not hear that or see that. Yes. yes, Awesome. So it is extraterrestrials or whatever he Mm -hmm. wants to call them because, you know, he's going to have something crazy. Or for all we know, it might not even be. I was just about to say some Shyamalan business. It might not even be an extraterrestrial. So we just got to wait for it and see what it's about. So um, but the other day, what caught me, of course, typical Jordan fashion again. So I don't know if everybody heard about the, the birds. Of course, you did. I'm sure you did. The birds that fell out of the sky. <laughs> no, I actually haven't heard about this. What happened? You didn't? It was no. in, um, I think it's Chihuahua, Mexico. Chihuahua, you know, and I live in Mexico, too. So I'm what surprised you didn't hear about that. Yeah, there was a large number of birds that were seen on um security fitted footage, and they suddenly just dropped dead mid-flight and ran down from the sky. It rained down from the sky. It was crazy and it was creepy. If you see the video, they're just all flying and then it's just a whole bunch of birds just cascading on people. So they hit something that was cloaked? Is that what we're saying? Some people were saying that they were like, listen, what's going on? But they're saying that. We have stealth bombers and things that can have cloaking technology. You know, I don't know if it works like Wonder Woman's invisible plane, but. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. Oh, my God. But they were saying that the birds were actually trying to maneuver away from a predator. And then they all got dizzy 
in the, you know, in their flight sequence and bumped into each other and dropped. So I'm like, mm-hmm. And I fell off the banana truck yesterday. Listen, I'm ready for the aliens to come get us. We deserve whatever we got coming. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We are trash. Humans are trash. We are, we don't deserve this planet anymore. Whatever's come, come oh, get these people, man. please. Aliens, come and get these folks. Careful for what you wish for, man. Careful. I don't want Listen. no signs going on. I'm good. I'm good. Really, I just one thing at a time, man. We're still trying to like just pick up our ourselves off the floor from COVID, and now we got to think about war, and that it's like. <laughs> Can we, and can the SCOTUS, we the Supreme Court is about to and take away Joe Biden's ability to affect climate change. There, yep. mm-hmm. that, that's that's on the horizon. So that's what I said. We don't even deserve. We we can't even do right by the planet. Like time. Mm-hmm. And when Tired. I say uh, humans are trash, I'm putting myself in that. I, you know, my recycling and my conservation is trash too. <laughs> so. <laughs> Listen, I got this, this plastic <laughs> water bottle. Some Gen Z person is gonna attack me about, like, yeah. Same it, here, know, same here. That's what. But we like have I our said, whole recycling system. Need to come on. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm not even there with them. Nope, nope. But those, I, I we gotta find a video. I'll find a video and definitely post it so y'all can see. But it's creepy as hell. And of course, the timing couldn't be more perfect. So Jordan retweeted it, and of course, but hashtag nope. <laughs> And it feeds right into the trailer and the film. So, again, we don't know what the hell is going on. When you see the trailer, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, uh uh-uh. But you know we all want to see it, and we want to know what's going to come about from this whole entire film that's going to be presented to us on July 22nd in the theater. July 22nd. I will definitely be there. So, I mean, before we go into my loving it, what what, Mm. what were your thoughts about uh, us and get out. Are you a fan of pills, particular brand of horror? I am. I am because I was really big. I'm really big on what he does. I like to see how he um, kind of makes everything his his own and gives it his own little kind of vibe, like what he did with um, Twilight Zone. I loved it. I really did. I'm big on like Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. Those things were my, that was my shit back in the day. And I like the creepy things. And um, I like when, um, when creatives kind of take take a vibe and, as I said, make it their own and put their own twist on it, so it's not your run of the mill horror, you know. And ain't nothing wrong with the run of the mill horror. We like those too. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Scream and because of you know the whole run of the mill horror story. But uh, I loved my favorite was Get Out. Get Out. I mean, Get Out was it. It was it. Um, Us, I, I had a little trouble with at first. But then I watched it about three or four times and, I, and, and it started to kind of, yeah, it sunk in. I was like, oh, okay, Clearly you didn't have okay, too much problems to be able right. to give it three more, three or four more visitations. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I did like it when I first saw it, but I just needed to understand more aspects of it, which I, I did as it went along. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with this because it should be quite interesting. Yeah. I can't wait. All right. I'm well, I, I'm looking forward to Nope. I'm a fan. Um, I did like Get Out more than I like Us, but I, I enjoyed Us. Um, I just, you know, I like people to take big swings, you mm-hmm. know, and it, even if they miss, you know, I, I appreciate the bravado 
and the effort to take the big swing. And um, and I felt like us worked more than it didn't work. So and for something for such a big swing and that type of story, I, I appreciated it. I know some people didn't think it lived up to the promise, but I I, I enjoyed no, it. No, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I had like three different things, and I couldn't oh, I could <laughs> I couldn't figure out which of the three I wanted to do. So I'm just gonna be brief about all three things. So one is a book that I'm reading is part of the Gibson Gazette book club. For those who don't know, we have our own book club. We've actually had it longer than we've had the podcast. So the book mm-hmm. club is um, in its 15th or 16th month, something like that. And our book of this month is Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Razorblade Tears. And when it was first recommended by one of the other people in the book club, I was kind of like, mm, no, that sound, I don't know about this, this title. But, mm-hmm. you know, we um, we give different people opportunities to make a choice. And uh, the book itself is about two fathers, um, two cisgender heterosexual fathers, one black, one white, whose adult sons were married to each other and, um, and who were murdered. So the fathers, both of whom are ex-cons. And it's a hard-boiled, in, in all of the senses of the word, it's a hard, hard-boiled hard novel and a, a film noir, crime noir uh, tradition of, like, Graham Greene and, uh, you know, uh, who else is, uh, uh, God, I can't think of whose name all of a sudden, but it's definitely in the crime novel tradition. And, mm-hmm. um, but it, with a smidge, just a taste of Donald Goins. It's a taste of Iceberg Slim in there because uh, the language is very edgy and sometimes, uh, uh, what's the word? I won't say uh, perverse, but <laughs> it's definitely um, coarse. There we go. Coarse. We'll go with coarse. There's okay. some coarse, okay. some, co- you know, uh, I don't read a lot of like hood novels. So, and it's, and, but, Interestingly enough, R. S. A. Cosby, who had a huge hit with a novel a few years back called Blacktop Wasteland, which was a New York Times bestseller, um, mm-hmm. is a literary writer. So the writing is very literary, but the content is street, right? Because these are Southerners, okay. these are Virginia Southerners um, who are ex-cons who, who um, have bodies on them, who come from you know criminal backgrounds and families and they're looking to see who they're looking to avenge their gay dead sons. And, um, and part of it is also that neither of them were supportive of their sons in their lifetimes. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so they, and and they both regret that they weren't as supportive fathers to their gay sons. They didn't understand their gay sons. They have a lot of uh, regret, but also confusion. And, and, and even in trying to avenge their sons, they're also trying to understand who they were as men. Um, and mm-hmm. so it was interesting to see this kind of mashup, uh, you know, very, we're used to gay people being the victims, right? <laughs> that's not new. That's not fresh. But to have fathers try to avenge their son's death, that is new. And to mm-hmm. try to blend these genres you know, it's kind of LGBTQ queer novel p- with the crime story told from a heterosexual perspective. It was, it was, it's different, and I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying all of the 
X and it's already been optioned for film. So oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> it's already a, it's already a, a bestseller. It's already been optioned for film. So we will be seeing Razor Blade Tears as a um, limited series or a film one. You never know with these things, right? Like how they're going to mm-hmm, carry mm-hmm. it out. But it has been going to have been optioned. The second thing I want to talk about was just and Nisi Nash's cover of Essence. Hopefully, by the time you've seen this, the Black Women in Hollywood issue by Essence Mm -hmm. will have hit the stands. The name of the cover story is A Love Like This. Nisi Mm -hmm. Nash and Jessica Betts on Being Soulmates. And Nisi looks gorgeous. They both look gorgeous. They both look amazing. But, you know, I'm always um, happy to see Nisi Nash's glow up. Uh, I mean, she's because when she first came out, nobody was like, oh, Nisi Nash, this beauty. Right. Like she was mm-hmm, a comedian mm-hmm. and, you know, she always had a va va body, but people weren't like checking for her like that. Nisi Nash yeah. has had a glow up ever since for the last like maybe five to ten <laughs> with claws. And that yep. shape is even more va va the, fl- the, the The skin is luminous and clear. And, you know, and of course, she got that got love that glow. glow. Right? She's got that I am getting regular orgasms glow. (laughs) (laughs) She ain't mad either. Uh Right. You know, and um, for those who don't know, uh, Nash has historically been married to cisgender heterosexual men. So this was the first time she'd ever been connected with a woman. First time she said she'd ever been with a woman. And even now, she doesn't identify as bisexual or lesbian or any of that. She just identifies mm-hmm. as somebody who fell in love with Jessica's soul. Um, and friend of the podcast, Demetria Lucas, wrote the cover story for Essence for that. So it was beautiful. It was lovely. It was nice to see. Um, you know, like this is an interesting time. So we got Razor Blade Tears. We got dads trying to avenge their gay sons. Now we got Essence Magazine giving the black women in Hollywood, which is their major um, issue to two issue, yeah. black women in love, you know, so interesting time to be queer. The last thing I want to talk about. Oh boy. And people it's may okay. question why this is in the loving it section. Y'all may okay. be wondering why this is not in the just no section of our podcast. And let me now I want you to stick with me. So Anthony Hamilton and Music Soul Child <laughs> had a versus for Valentine's and mm-hmm. um, for those who could endure the caterwauling of Music Soul Child, the flatness, the unearned confidence, the, <laughs> the uh, vocal runs that ran into brick walls. Um, I'm just going to sip on my water. My, <laughs> I uh, then you know already know what I'm talking about, Anthony Hamilton. Um, though uh, music folks definitely could pick it out, he was uh, Anthony was in great sound, good. Like his tone was beautiful. Anthony has an amazing tone. If you like Anthony's tone, but Anthony was also singing things about a half step to a whole step lower than he normally sings some of these songs. So mm-hmm. he wasn't even in his full best voice, and he still completely wiped the floor. With music, soul child. Now, now I know some people say versus is for the culture, <laughs> versus isn't a competition. Uh-huh. But when you have this unevenness, 
when you have such a dramatic unevenness. Now, Music Soul Child is one of my favorite artists of the early 2000s. He is one of my favorite neo soul artists. I thought when he first came out, I, I'm gonna, I know some people are gonna say this is blasphemy, but I thought he might get to a Stevie Wonder kind of level, you know, and those first three albums back to back were such love. Like they were so amazing, so rich, the ideas, the yeah. harmonies, the stacking. Mm-hmm. The the lead vocal runs, like everything was just like coming together. Amazing writers like Eric Robeson writing on it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and producers, James Poyser and other people from Philly was writing on it. Um, Carvin Higgins. I mean, there's so many people that was just like Eric killing it for man. him. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but if you've never seen Music Soul Child live, then you might want to cry a little bit. Like I, I, so here's the thing. I was defending this, this uh, match. Cause people were like, they're unevenly yoked from day one. And I was like, are you crazy? Music social has all these amazing songs. Even the albums that aren't great have some bangers on the songs, you know, on, on the mm-hmm. albums. So I wasn't understanding kind of the, everybody's like, Oh, Anthony's just going to kill it. And I was like, eh, I don't agree with that. But I had seen music with Mary J. Blige on her Love and Life tour back when she had mm-hmm. did her comeback album with Puffy. And it was the early aughts and maybe like, yeah, about 2007, 2008 and um, maybe 2006, I don't know, somewhere in there. And music was there and he was in good voice. Now, he had killer background singers who were definitely mm-hmm. providing him support and doing some heavy lifting. Right. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he was able to hold his own. He wasn't it wasn't as good as the record, but it was not embarrassing. I now believe that that was a piped in vocal a la Mariah Carey. (laughs) I no longer believe believe that I heard music so child live. I believe he was lip lip syncing for his life and that those vocals Mm. were piped in because. Baby, let me or or somebody was with there with the Pro Tools, you know, a half step, a half second before mm. every run, and was correcting, correcting, correcting. Something was because the person I saw on the verses isn't a bad night. The singers can have a bad night, but even singers who have a bad night can hear themselves. They can hear that they're flat. They can hear that they're entering songs in the wrong key and the wrong note. They can hear that when they are trying to scat, the man tried to scat. Why are you trying to scat and you can't, you're not in voice, sir? Why are you scatting flat? Why are you trying to, you not Ella, it's not, it's disrespectful. My ears left me. They went on sabbatical. They said they will return (laughs) once I have turned off the verses that they are through with me. Oh, man. And, you know, don't change. I mean, this is how much of a fan I am of music. Don't change. The first time I heard it, I literally cried. I thought it was one of the most beautiful songs I'd ever heard. And then the video and, to go with <laughs> And so I held on for That's don't good. change. Because it's like, maybe he will redeem himself. You know, I know a lot of people was waiting for love. I already knew he wasn't going to be able to do love. There's a high note on love that, uh-uh. no. Mm-mm. 
wasn't I wasn't there for that, but I was there for Don't Change. And he entered Don't Change all wrong, and I already just knew. I knew it was. I, and after that, I had to turn it off. So, the reason why it is in loving it is one because Anthony Hamilton brought it, and he brought out the squad. He brought out Kevin Ross. He brought out I think Raheem Devon. He brought out <laughs> Eric Robeson. He brought out the Hamiltons, who you just know. Forget right. it. You it's just done. know the Hamiltons were in the background <laughs> clowning. You just know every time music sung, they were probably hitting each other, falling out laughing, like, what is this Negro doing? Mm-mm. But the reason why this is in Loving It also is because I went back to go back and listen to those albums that I loved to restore, redeem, refresh my spirit of the horror that I had been, the trauma that my ears had endured to fall back in love with music soul child. So I en- encourage you to go and fall back in love again with music soul child, go back and listen to those early albums, even listen to uh, songs that were amazing, but weren't on great albums. Like, yes, you know, uh, yet the answer is yes. is just amazing. You know, um, teach me how to love. You know, even mm. crazy stuff like B-U-D-D-Y. Like, go back and fall yeah. in love again with Music Soul Child so you two can love him again and forget mm-hmm. that he mm-hmm. put us through that. We have to give grace. Grace is sufficient. Mm. <laughs> we have to mm. give grace to music for that. And that's my loving him. I am really happy that I didn't put myself through that because... <laughs> That was the reason why I didn't put myself through that because I knew I'm so I yo Lord please forgive me I love music soldier same way you do I I ditto every single word you said about his albums everything when I heard him live on something I I can't even remember what it was he was singing the song and I watched the entire performance like this I was tense like this. <laughs> Because I was like, okay, I'm throwing in, I'm throwing him into Frank Ocean slash The Weeknd slash um, all of them cats that need all kind of pro tools, tools and tools and tools in order to get their live show going. These are people I will not see live for the life of me. He was on that list. And the way that I've heard friends of mine complain after they went to a concert, and these are like music aficionados, you know how snobby. And I was just, I said, no, I'm I'm not doing that to myself because I love him. So I'm going to keep him in the same little wrap bubble cellophane wrap that I, I have in my mind and keep him in that same spot. Like when I do, when I listen to his albums, because I don't want to lose that shiny, you know, new smell of a new car smell kind of feel that I have with him. I knew I was gonna that was gonna happen if I watched this thing because I, I knew Anthony Hamilton would tear him up. Are you kidding me? Anthony it was, Hamilton. It was it Come was on, man. Uh uh-uh, uh. There was no. blood in the water. I'm, as much there as I wanted blood. to watch it. I'm sure. I, I believe he was like piranha. I ain't doing it. No. I mean, and the thing I, at one point, I literally screamed at this TV <laughs> and said, How can you you can't hear that? How are you not able to hear that, sir? I mean, it was so aggressive. 
And I mean, because oh, it wasn't like he was Janae Aieko kind of subtle in the background with it, right? Like he was very aggressively loud, loud and wrong, like just loud and wrong. And and he couldn't hear any of it. And I was just like, how are you worse than Shaka was when she was allegedly high or drunk on her verses? Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> like, at least Shaka could hear. Like, he could not hear himself at all. He was completely That's tone deaf. Like- Completely toned off. So Listen anyway, to we're not going to beat up right. on them though. Yes, go back. Fall back in love again. Yes. You know, to 143, to, you know, have crazy. Oh, so my Who dream. knows? Mm. Who knows? There, It's just so many moments in life. I mean, there's just there's so many things that he's gifted us with. Um, mm. and, we wanna, and we want to give honorary Grammys to every engineer, every producer. <laughs> Every songwriter, arranger, and background vocalist who has worked with Music Soul Child, we want to oh thank you for your service because without you, we would not have the gift of those songs because clearly mm. he was not enough. We always tell people that you are everything you need. That is not true in the case of Music Soul Child. He needs, he needs the village. The village is his friend. The Musical Village. Thank you for your service, Musical Village. We are going to get you those honorary grades. Oh, my God. All right. So it's complicated. We're going for it's complicated. God, these are stories for those who don't know. You know we totally did not introduce ourselves to the audience. And we just assumed everybody just yeah, already did. know us. We friends. Yes, we did. I, did not, I don't remember saying I'm L. Michael Gibson co-host. And I don't remember <laughs> saying you was Anne Marie Collymore co-host. We just was like, hey, people, we already know us. Y'all here at the cookout. <laughs> you know, we real ghetto with it. But anyway, we're going to keep it moving oh since we already messed it up. We're more than halfway through the show. Uh, it's this. complicated. These are stories we have mixed feelings about, but we love certain aspects of. So, AMC, what are you feeling it's complicated about? Okay. So, I'm sure a lot of people on Facebook and Instagram have heard me speak about this ad nauseum, and um, I want to discuss the remake disease, as I like to call it, that Hollywood has. Um, I just, I feel like, don't get me wrong now, there are always going to be remakes. I get it. I, I know, but I know I'm not alone. Um, and, and please, of course, you know, I'm going to ask you what you think, but I'm just kind of exhausted with the amount of remakes that we've been privy to for the past. I, I don't even know when it started, but I feel like for like for the, the past, entire century, like, few, I, man, I, I just, feel like this whole I century has like been just remakes. It's just been yeah, one after the other. And it just, they continue to roll out relentlessly. So I'm like, well. For some people, um, they argue that the movie and TV remakes introduce like a whole new era to all of like uh, the past phase, and I'm like, yes, I can see that. But then again, like, whatever happened to watching the old damn movie? And the initial piece of work was perfect; it was great, and we learned from that. We did. I mean, there are some again. There are some a, a lot of remakes when we were growing up. There was King Kong. Um, Psycho, Planet of the Apes, The Star is Born has been done a gazillion times. I even, um, in in reading, I didn't even know The Departed was a remake. Um, I love that movie. I think it's fantastic. I have the originals, the Korean originals. Really? The Korean? Internal Affairs. Internal Affairs series. 
I had no idea. So yes, of course there are, you know, there are definitely um, um, remakes and we understand that, but to have like 10 versions of one movie, I'm like, what is, and especially now, just, I just feel like there's no need to chop and screw everything just to pacify an audience. It, it's great to learn about um, those that were, uh, you know, creative back then and thinking about what they had to you know, work with compared to what we have now with CGI and this and that and all kinds of different things at our disposal. It's totally different when you watch King Kong in black and white and then you watch King Kong with Jessica Lange and and, and Mr. Bridges. It's a totally different fiasco. And then you fast forward to like um, Brody and, and, and what's her name that was in the last one there that um, Peter Jackson. There, well, there was one be- in between. Um, so the Jessica Lange one was like 1979 or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. The original King Kong was like in the 30s. And then there 30s. was one that happened with uh, Naomi Watts, I want to say. Um, yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Naomi Watts. Right. There was and Adrian there. Brody. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then we... So I guess I want to get clarity because you said something that also kind of could might confuse some of the listeners to think that you might be speaking of franchises. So do you have an issue with franchises or is it the rebooting by remaking the, the origin rebooting. story all the way from beginning? It's the rebooting of not even all the way from the beginning. It's just the rebooting of movies because I feel that lately it's not, not even like origins, like planet of the apes and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. and Spider-Man. I'm not, not those. Um, but when you go into Jumanji, Jumanji was an old, like old, and I use air quotes. I'm, I'm, I'm not I was a old. Young adult when Jumanji came out, I mean, let's not say that's old. Not saying, <laughs> it's not old. It's not old. It's, it's recent. Let's, let's so, not do that. <laughs> listen, you just told people about your age, all right? So well, I mean, you know, well, because there are some people who were not born when that first Jumanji came out, but I still you do not did. feel like it was. It was. Not, it was you know, we're talking the nineties. Uh, for those who may not right. know, there was a Jumanji. I think Robin Williams was in the Robin Jumanji. Williams. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, to make a distinction between the Dwayne Rock Johnson Jumanjis um, mm-hmm. that came out in the in the odds. So right, and then like Overboard. Overboard is another one. Like the, I mean, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. That was classic. And then a new one was made two three i think it was about three years ago which actually i watched it it wasn't bad but i am wasn't it with um, kate hudson her daughter didn't her daughter star no it was with um 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 um, um, i remember when it came out anna ferris anna ferris okay yeah yeah i could see why that would work so yeah i was like okay it was it was cute so now coming up I, I, which is what this is what initially started my rant was I saw that there was a house party coming up. Did you know that there was a re- reboot for house not, party? I, I did not, and <sighs> I God, don't know why. Just, why? And then I read somewhere that Love Jones was was floating in the air. They were thinking of doing that over. Please leave Darius and Nina alone. Please, like, don't do it. And then there's Fatal Tra- a Fatal Attraction television series coming up with Joshua Jackson. Now I love him. He was stellar in in Doctor Death, but that's the only reason why I would most probably watch it. But I am Team Glenn Close and Michael Douglas. Like you can't do Fatal Attraction. Come yeah, on. I like them in Fringe, but not enough to invest in this. 
I mean, so here's my thinking. Or are you, I don't want to cut you off. Are you done with that? And I just, I my whole, what bothers me is that they're just a lot of dope creatives that are coming up and they have a lot of elaborated, twisted, fun and interesting ideas. And we've seen how they get kind of like chopped off at the legs already with, you know, like Matt Damon and his movie thing and that whole controversy that went on, right? So why can't we hear, <clears throat> excuse me, from why doesn't Hollywood feel like they can't um, invest the funds in not just BIPOC, of course, but BIPOC is on the top of my list, but just in, in creatives that are coming up with new ideas and that are, are willing to do these block boss, blockbuster movies and have so many different things that they can put on the table rather than just constantly rebooting, rebooting, rebooting. Like there's so many other things that we can get into. Um, if we actually lay the foundation and support the creatives that are coming up now, rather than taking the same damn story and regurgitating it and putting, you know, the same actors that are out there doing the same damn thing into these movies. So what 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 do you think is the issue? Do we need more movie incubators? Especially you're a big movie fan. So from your perspective, what do you think can be done? in terms of supports and outlets for indie projects to thrive for people to get their foot in the door? I mean, I don't necessarily, well, so I'm, you know, people who follow me on Facebook know that I often have negative things to say when a reboot (laughs) is announced, right? My my knee-jerk reaction is usually why WTF, you know, this is unnecessary. Same. Who asked for who asked for this? I often <laughs> who asked for this? For yeah. This. I've seen that a lot. Um, you know, so I you know, so I can't act like that's not my impetus. That's not my knee-jerk reaction usually. Um, but there have been franchises that have been rebooted that I enjoyed better than the original. I was not a fan growing up of Planet of the Apes. I, you know, it would come on TV ad nauseum. And yep. with Charlton Heston and that awful makeup and those awful backgrounds. And I was just like, and I know people who will fight me on this because they absolutely grew up and loved those original Planet of the Apes. I thought they were trash. <laughs> I could not, for the life of me, get into them as a child. Now, I understand that maybe the political stories that they were telling were a little bit more biting than the ones mm-hmm. that um, were rebooted. But I loved loved the reboot with mark Wahlberg same and, same and um yeah. All Caesar. Of them. you know I, I i bought it i mean I, even the last one i thought I, I i thought the last one deserved an academy award like i thought it's that fantastic. was it was that good <laughs> you know mm-hmm. the quality of it the storytelling of it was so rich so top-notch everything about it i just thought was brilliant so mm-hmm. you know there are times in which you know i may be like uh who wants this i can't uh, and then I you know, end up loving it. Now, there are times in which it doesn't work. Like, uh, I remember when they remade The Stepford Wives, and they made it into kind of like a comedy. And, you know, it kind of was campy. It kind of worked in that way. But it it wasn't biting enough to be good camp, and it wasn't dark enough to be a horror story, which is what it originally was. Um, yeah. And so, it, it, you know, that was with Nicole Kidman, and um, the original oh, yes, started Captain Ross. <laughs> and so, you know, so it just depends. I um, it's funny because my it's complicated is also going to be 
a reboot or a reimagining of something. It, you know, I in terms of the creativity piece, I mean, there is some very real economics involved in deciding to uh, select brands that already have built-in nostalgia, uh, intellectual properties that already have been paid, paid, bought and paid for <laughs> several times over. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So from the industry standpoint, they feel like they're taking less risks with a proven entity that has already demonstrated that it could be successful. You're already going to have some people who are going to go either, either to hate watch it or because they want to see whether or not they mess it up or enjoyed it, you know, whatever. So you already have a built in audience in that way. Then you have younger people who get to see it done with all of the new bells and whistles that they come to expect with CGI and all of that. So mm-hmm. I think that there is, um, I mean, and, and then the, the sheer amount of money for a lot of movies today. I mean, it's, we've relegated movies under $50 million to the television, you know, to streaming services, to, I mean, countless, you know, I have like a, I have my little bootleg. I'm always talking about my handy dandy internet. That's my code for bootleg people. My handy dandy <laughs> so my handy dandy internet <laughs> Shows me scores of new movies that come out every week, scores, literally, of titles that I never click on. And I don't mm-hmm. click on them because I, I don't know anything about these movies. I ain't heard about these movies. Maybe they ain't get a commercial. Maybe they ain't get no promo. Like the, I ain't mm-hmm. seen no critic write about it. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So, you know, but if it's a title that I know, if it's a property that I know, I might be like, let me see what they it. did. Let me see what they do with this. You know, mm-hmm. even if mm-hmm. I'm skeptical. So... They win either way. They get the eyes on the on the product. So I understand from that standpoint why Hollywood might hedge its bets uh, with so much more at risk um, financially on entities that already have intellectual property. That's why I was asking you, like, are you talking about like Halloween thirty five, <laughs> or are you talking nope. about you know the re the remake of Planet of the Apes again? Because you know they're going to redo it again in ten years, right? Like, of you know course they're going to sure. redo Planet, even though the last one is just perfect. I mean, we're what Batman comes out tomorrow, right? Like, oh, and I, I, yeah, and there's a three hour I'm, Batman, and this with emo, Christian Bale is it for me. That's it. I mean, like, which is, that was know, perfect to me. So and I don't I'm know like, that I can watch emo Batman with Richard Pattinson. I just no, not doing it. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm not doing you know, it. But it's anyway, I mean, and I, I hate it because I love Chris, I love Zoe Kravitz as, as she's playing Catwoman. But I just, just yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, if it hits my handy dandy internet, I might be yeah, you there. But um, but yeah, I mean, so I don't. I think that it's. It's complicated to you, you know, to the point of the segment that, um, right. I, I, I do wish we had more original stories, but I also see my behavior as a consumer, unless it's like a limited series that's getting the f- featured treatment on Netflix or the feature treatment on my Apple streamer where I'm like, oh, okay, they're featuring this. This is like getting promo mm-hmm. time, you know, cause you think about how many new things hit our streaming services every oh my month gosh, and we crazy. don't. And we don't check any of that stuff out unless it's like top ten or featured or somebody tell us about it. So mm-hmm. we're 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 to blame. <laughs> we are we are a part of the system. Yes, yes. We we, 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 we pay more for Power of the Dog than we would for <laughs> Planet of the Apes Part Fifteen. Then you know maybe they would stop. Maybe they make more Power of the Dog. I mean, even something like Moonlight, which did make back its money. True. 
I think at the box office, it might have only got to twenty-five to thirty million dollars in box really? office for it for movie of the. I mean, now granted, it was made on like three point five million dollars, so they, that that's a very healthy profit, <laughs> right? That's like, yes, that's, yes, yes. You it know, is. Um, I'm not even thinking about it, profit. I'm just like, wow. But when you think about like people going to see something and spending their money yeah. on it, you know, even with the the Academy Award winning film for Best Picture of the Year, it didn't get a hundred million dollars. You know, La La Land did, which is its own separate thing, which came out that same year and had tried to steal my baby's award. But um, (laughs) that's another thing. (laughs) All right. Uh, So mine is. Oh, mine is kind of similar. I don't know. We we, we did not coordinate this people. We just in fact, (laughs) I was very last minute. We're putting my um, stuff in. So. The casting of the film version of the Alice Walker musical presented by Oprah Winfrey, The mm-hmm. Color Purple, has been announced and will feature the vocal talents of Fantasia S. Seeley, a role originated on Broadway by LaChance and perfected, if I do say so myself, by Tony Award winner Cynthia Erivo uh, for oh, the role in the most recent revival that was directed by John Doyle. I'm speaking to the other Broadway nerds there. Um, award-winning Danielle Brooks is also going to revive her role as Miss Sophia. Those of you who ever have seen Peacemaker or Orange is the New Black have been privy to Danielle Brooks' um, amazing talents. And if you haven't heard her sing, she has an amazing song called um, I think I'm a Woman um, that was like a smash for me, it personally, was like a smash on the charts, unfortunately. But it was a smash for me <laughs> about two three years ago, <laughs> 2019. Um, so you can hear her blow. She also did Mahalia recently. She was Mahalia Jackson, for those who might have seen that on Lifetime when they did mm-hmm. the Mahalia Jackson story. Um, and her, the singer her, is Squeak. Coleman Domingo is Mr. Um, and Taraji. <sighs> I can't even get it out of my mouth all the way. Good. Taraji Ooh. P. Henson as Suge Avery, a role originated yes. on Broadway, the musical by Elizabeth Withers, and performed by such singers, and I emphasize singers, singers. <laughs> as Jennifer Hudson, Heather Headley, mm. and mm. Jennifer Holliday. Singers, mm. singers, all. Now, I love me some Taraji. This is not hate towards Taraji. I love you, Miss Taraji. But her terrifically bad interpretation of Miss Hannigan on Annie Live is all I can think about when I was set when I was told that she would be playing Miss Suge Avery. And some of you who never seen a Broadway musical, she was played deliciously by Margaret Avery in the Steven Spielberg film uh, with Whoopi as Miss Seeley. But that is not the exact same uh, film that you're, we're, we're talking about now. This is the musical, the Broadway musical version, um, which has some things in common with the film, but actually has more in common with Alice Walker's original novel, um, including a lot of the queerness that was taken out of the film <laughs> that is implicit mm-hmm. into, and some of the redemption story from Mr. Um, those of you who hated Mr. all of your life, you may not know that he actually it does get redeemed in the book <laughs> and is redeemed in the musical, just not so much in Steven Spielberg film. Um, in any case, 
The thought of Suge Avery by Taraji P. Henson brought to mind Russell Crowe as Javert ruining the otherwise perfect film that was Les Mis with a vocal only a mother could love. Like Javert, Suge Avery is a major role with solos and duet songs that require powerful, technically precise vocals. Now, Suge in the musical doesn't have to sing the iconic songs from the Quincy Jones canon like Sister or God is Trying to Tell You Something. Those are not in this play. I've had to say that to people because every time I've seen the Broadway version of the show, somebody black around me is like, when they going to sing God is Trying to Tell Me Something and Sister? <laughs> it's not, they're, they're not in the show. It's a different show. It's not that um, type of show. <laughs> right. So, you know, Taraji doesn't have to tackle Tata Vega or Margaret Avery's vocal vocal prowess on those, because that would be laughable. We're not we're not asking her to do all of that. But these songs written by Brenda Russell, Allie Wilson, uh, Willis, excuse me, and Stephen Bray. Um she's does still have a big production number called Push the Button and a powerhouse duet called What About Love, where she has to match energies. With Fantasia, she's got to match energies. Now, come on, now, y'all. We're gonna uh-huh. have church up in here real quick. Now, y'all know where Miss Fantasia can go when she gets the spirit. Y'all uh-huh. really feel like Taraji P. Henson is gonna be able to match energies with Fantasia on a big powerhouse duet. I feel like there's a music soul child Anthony Hamilton moment about to happen all oh. over again up in this musical. Now, <laughs> Now, what we what we can pray for, what we can pray for. Oh. Uh, well, let me first say, I am utterly delighted that they are going to be filming this um, brilliant piece of American theater because I have seen it several times. I have loved, I do love this musical, and not just a Black American theater, American theater. Um, but unless they Marnie Nixon Taraji, I'm already prepared to fill away. Um, and as Crow has already demonstrated. In Les Mis, all it takes is one bum singer in a leading role, not just talking about a small role, leading role, to ruin a whole show. Now, as an aside, for those who don't know who, what I mean by Marnie Nixon, her, Marnie Nixon was the dubbed-in soprano voice of Natalie Woods in the original West Side Story, of Audrey Hepburn in Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady, and Deborah Kerr in Rodgers and Hammerstein's The King and I. Because what we understood back in classic Hollywood is if you hire somebody who can't sing, you make them lip sync for their life. Bring (laughs) that Milli Vanilli on. (laughs) You bring on the Milli Vanilli. Now, all named actresses cast in those musicals that could not sing, but Marnie was the queen of the ghost singers. You know, she was Mm -hmm. required to even sign contracts and things that says she would not even let it be known and you know until it came out some decades later that she was singing for those those women and that's what we need for Taraji we need a Marnie Nixon black version mm. so she might might be able to pull out the va va voom of Suge Avery and that's it what do you mm. think miss AMC yeah, when I heard that lineup, I was like, that's amazing. And then when I started to break it down, I went, oh, there's some holes in there. <laughs> Just, <it's> a, <laughs> don't spit out that water now. <laughs> Just, 
But it's true. You just went through everything. You know, I'm going to spit all this... over this, this Apple computer. Girl. I'd have to send you a bill. I'd have, I'd have to send you a bill. You, you almost wrecked my stuff, my whole setup. But it's true. And the fact that you even went there with Russell Crowe. Oh, my. Because I, I, I am still. That movie is like, what, almost 10 years ago? I am still heated. Yes. I am still Oh, no, heated. you're not the only one. Because you are I not love the only one. And I love those songs that Javert has. I actually sung stars in grad in um undergrad when I was a musical theater oh, major. Man. Like I love oh, those man. songs. So I was hurt. I was so hurt when he just, they didn't they didn't Marnie Nixon him. I was like, why? It's so bad. It was so, so bad. Like he ruined the film for me. He really did. I thought the film was great, but that just I mean, they can, you know, here, here, Hollywood producers, Hollywood producers, whoever is in charge of the, whoever owns the intellectual property that is is the film, if you re-release it as a special edition with newly overdubbed vocals for Russell Crowe, I promise you, I promise you, you're going to make your money back. I promise you that the Les Mis fans will line up in droves, get like a, 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 a Norm Lewis you know, get like a, a Joshua Henry, get, get get somebody who can oh, sing to overdub him. We will buy that. We will buy the Blu-ray. We will buy the Ultra HD K, 4K, 5K, whatever the K is. We will buy it. <laughs> we will purchase it. My man is desperate, y'all. He's desperate. Yes. Well, I, I, who do you think should be the stand-in for Miss the, the, the cover-up for Miss Taraji? I mean, the support system. If you will, who who what voices? You know what I um I am I saw Heather and um I'm a big fan of of Elizabeth Withers' original vocal um and Elizabeth Withers doesn't get a lot of credit like she should um she also had a really good album come out around that period I reviewed for Soul Tracks back in the day mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but I I have Heather's voice was too heavy. It was, she was perfect for push the button and she was perfect for what about love? Cause like she could match energies with um, Cynthia Erivo, you yeah. know, for those big numbers, but there's a softness and a delicacy to too beautiful for words, which is a ballad. There's this, the sister ballad, right? Like it's where mm-hmm. sister would have been for mm-hmm. people who um, want the moment in their head. Uh, too beautiful for words is such a sweet lullaby of a song that it needs a lighter touch and, um, I actually wish I could have seen Jennifer Holiday sing it oh because when Jennifer goes soft, now she, everybody know her about her growling when she's about to eat the mic. But <laughs> Jennifer Holiday, when she sings soft, is one of the sweetest sounds. And I, I would have mm. loved to have seen that vocal or heard that vocal anywhere of her singing Too Beautiful mm. for Words because it's one of my favorite songs from that show. Um, what about you? Who would you have liked to have heard? Like a Jasmine Sullivan? I, I you know, I, I don't even I'm big on Heather Headley. I'm a huge Heather Headley fan. And Elizabeth as well. Um and it's from what Lisa you, call that she lady? Get... you calling her Headley? <laughs> Headley, sorry. I always say Headley. I always match up the poor woman's name. Sorry. Y'all better heed what Miss Heather has to say. <laughs> heed her. Heed Heather. <laughs> Oh my God! Her no. her album, her debut album was fantastic from beginning to end for me. Loved it. Mm-hmm. So, um, ever since then, and her vocals are sick. They're just insane. Um, 
But it's funny that you said that Elizabeth Withers doesn't get her props because I don't know if you saw on Facebook um, her, it, I think when the announcement came out, a lot of people were making a lot of um, noise. And I think to this tune that we're discussing right now, and she was saying, you know, I, I am blessed and I loved the fact that I was able to play such an amazing part and because everybody was saying why didn't you just get elizabeth to play it again like straight up that's it uh and she said you know she's in a good place and it was a kind of read between the lines kind of note that she Mm. left saying that she's good it's all good keep it moving let's go i've I've worked with her before and she has a little bit of an edge to her so i'm not surprised I, i think i think i was hired to write a bio for her back uh-huh. in the day and um or something along those lines because i remember working with her and interviewing her for it and yeah she's got she's got a little bit of a bite and and she's very confident mama Extremely is confident confident yeah what the hell so, not do you girl mm-hmm. i mean she's she's got she's got the shit to back it up you know what i mean so mm-hmm. she I does. Mean, yeah so shouts to her but yeah i mean i think um those are the voices because I, I know how they are and the range and, and, and who they can, you know, kind of support, go against and um, mesh with. I I don't, this is just a bad scene. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> Taraji and Fanny? That's a bad scene. Uh, Fantasia don't even need anybody to support or, or do anything. At that point, Taraji should just sit down in the corner and just wait for the whole scene to pass because... I just don't see how this is going to work. It's going to be interesting. And if you say they're videotaping it, I will be there with my popcorn and my glass of wine, um, scandal style, and I will sit down and watch and see what transpires. And I send all love and praises and prayers to Taraji. (laughs) And, and, And to be clear, I think when Taraji does the you show is ugly and all of that, it's going to be a laugh riot because Taraji knows how to get her laughs. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, and she, I mean, has she done anything on Broadway before? I, I don't recall. Like Taraji. No. I, so, right? I mean, though she's trained, I mean, she went to Howard University's fine arts uh-huh. department, right? Like, so she's trained yeah. in theater. Um, and people don't always know that about Taraji, but you know, she's, she's formally trained. It's just a matter. I mean, like she's, she's got the acting chops, but the other part of it is, you know, Suge Avery's supposed to be like the sexiest woman in town. I mean, and Taraji is beautiful. I, we just gotta see, child. We just gotta see. <laughs> just I think gotta she see. can pull it off. I we think if anything, see. it's the singing and 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 whatnot that she might just have a little bit of, you know, conflict or um, trying to be nice and find the words. Um, but <laughs> just we gonna go I ahead. We those... gonna go to you, child. We gonna go to you to your next one because the people gonna think we beating up on Taraji. We're not. We're not. We love Taraji, y'all. We really, really do. It's just gonna be interesting to see. That's it. That's all. We gonna leave it at that. I just That's wish it. people had the discernment to stay in their lanes. I mean, and, and especially when the lane is as wide as Taraji P Henson's. I mean, she's played old women. And Benjamin Button, and then she played, you know, Pam Greer like character in Proud Mary. I mean, so Taraji got some range. She I does. Just I just feel like this should have been one of those ones where Jesus tapped her on the shoulder and said, "Not nah, sis, sis." Oh, 
This this mm. ain't your ministry. This this right here. You got you got plenty. You have an abundance of ministries, but this musical theater ministry is not your ministry. So I look forward to Taraji making me eat my words. That would not be the first time I have been wrong, and um, I, I want to eat my words. I want to be wrong. Spirit says I will not be wrong, but I I, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. <laughs> we shall see. That's all we can say. All right, oh so God. just know these are stories that we have hated or have harsh, harsh critiques for. This mm-hmm. is where we go in. You know, we have been a little potty mouth today, but we usually go pretty potty mouth around the just know, so you might want to turn this off if you have small children around. Go yeah. ahead on. Yes. What is your just know, AMC? So, guys, okay, I'm going to go with a little bit of Toronto culture here. Um and this may um, sound a little funny to y'all at first, but just, just you know, ride with me on this one. So uh, yesterday we learned that there was going to be the death to the pat- the best patty house here in Toronto. So y'all know what a patty is, right? I don't have to go into explanations. Yeah, you can do it for all of us who are not from I Canada. Should. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let me, let me, okay. So if y'all look it up, and, and let me be specific, a Jamaican patty is a lovely, beautiful piece of love and 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 I can't even find the words, but it's it's a golden, buttery, lovely crust. And inside of this crust, you can think of it kind of like a Italian calzone if you want. But inside of the crust, they have a there's a filling and it's a beef, a ground beef filling. But it just it isn't just ground beef. You can have different flavors. So you can have a vegetarian, you can have um, saltfish, or what you guys would know maybe as codfish. We call it saltfish. Um, uh, shrimp, curry shrimp. You can have all different types of things. Depends on what people want to put in their patty. So yesterday, this turned into a huge, major discussion. And it was actually um, Jamaican Patty Day, no less, over here. Okay? So we're we're really serious about our patties down here. And we learned that an iconic family-owned Toronto shop is going to be shutting down their doors on this Saturday. We just learned yesterday. This place is shutting down this Saturday after 43 years. Now, um, it's called Randy's. <laughs> Excuse me. And they opened in 1979 in Little Jamaica. So we have an area here. I won't... This is a whole other conversation about Little Jamaica, but... I'm going to touch on it. Um, they opened in Little Jamaica, and they've been serving food and their delectable patties to the masses. And people go for their food, too, but their patties is where it's at. So as I said earlier, there's saltfish, vegetarian, chicken, beef, and you can get it um, spicy, non-spicy, and it's encased in the flaky gold buttery shell. So it's a problem. Okay? It's a problem. And, and you can also get it... Um, with cocoa bread. So you can have your cocoa bread and put your patty in between and you have a little ting on the side and you got yourself a meal, man. So you're good to go. Uh, so it was only, it was the only patty place in Toronto that like really made me drop down to my knees. It's that good. So it's a huge bone of contention up here when you're asked, oh, where's the best patty spot in Toronto? We've got quite a few spots, but Randy's is known as one of the best. And um, the moment the word started to spread about its closure, people were losing their minds. So even Drake piped up 
Um, and he stepped up to the plate and he wrote under, um, there's Tyrone Edwards. He's a Canadian media personality. And Tyrone wrote, you know, this can't be happening. This is crazy because, like, people go there and there are lines outside until they sell out of patties. This is how prominent this place is. So uh, Drake posted underneath um, Tyrone's post and he said, I'm ready to buy buy it right now. What's going on? So we're like, okay, if he can help to keep the store afloat, that's how important this spot is. Like, people know. So... If Drake steps in, y'all know. And yeah, just just think of that. That's it. Now, the reasons for the closure were due to, of course, various issues, including COVID, of course, mm-hmm. um, uh, supply shortages, of course. The owners are getting older. And there's um, we have a Metrolinx Crosstown project that's been going on. So now I'll tell you about this project a little bit as well. But there's it's it, this is a lot more than just the patties itself. It's the loss of an institution. It's a Toronto institution, and it's the loss of a black family owned business. It's the loss of another store in Little Jamaica. Um, the the corridor that Little Jamaica is in has been chiseled away during the the past ten years, um, and there are a lot of store closures because of the massive Metrolinx undertaking. So it's a project that has um that's gonna have a train going from one end of the city to the next and it began in 2011 it's had so many delays we're now in 2023 so can you imagine how many stores have closed because they could not keep up with the massive construction that's going on there's fencing there's stuff being uprooted it was a clear it was a disaster area it really really was it was really bad and it's been going on forever so what was seen as a way to connect the community has also now become a hindrance and it's um, been detrimental to the loss of the people's livelihoods and to the Caribbean culture because it's something that we're losing. So apart from Drake, there have been many, um, many people that have been really gung-ho about how can we donate funds, um, how can we seek out options in order to assist to keep them afloat. So we'll see in time, we'll only see, like, I guess, you know, what's going to happen or what's going to transpire within the next few weeks. But right now they had put up something on their site saying that they are closing this Saturday and people are in denial. And it's really rough to see that an institution like that is going to be closed down. So it, it, it sucks to see it go, but um, yeah. What what can you do to save community institutions that are on the brink, right? Unless um, community gets together, gets together and supports in some way or, and again, it depends too on what the institution, like what they want themselves. Maybe the elderly um, family members don't want to work anymore. So if Drake ends up buying it hypothetically, who's going to work, you know, who's going to, are they still going to keep it within the family? Are they going to just sell it and have Drake carry on? I don't know. There's so many different questions and, and different variables to work with, but the fact that it's, it's closing down is, is heartbreaking. And the lineups today were beyond insane, which is great to see because it's community coming out to support. But again, they're closing, right? So that's my no today. I'm just, <laughs> everybody's just really pissed and in denial. So we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted, but it's kind of looking like it's it's done. I mean, well, I think, you know, if Drake is willing to put in that infusion. Now, I know Drake is uh, half black and half white, but does he have West Indian black? Is he half 
Like he is he American black. No, his father. Oh, his father. From... Okay, so he. So this his is just him recognizing the value of this institution for Toronto, not necessarily because it's his own culture. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think here's the thing, though, is like in Toronto, it's it's kind of a different vibe, man. Because Toronto, it's like. You have people from certain areas, and of course, everybody is is kind of infused with a little bit of Caribbean culture, and especially here, um, Jamaican culture is really huge. So everybody knows what a patty is. Everybody knows what a roti. If it's not roti, it's a, a roti, but everybody knows what a roti is. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, growing so up, even if Drake you're not knows, of the culture, you're still of the culture. You're still of the culture. Yeah, gotcha. for real, gotcha. for real. Yeah, we had similar things happen in D.C. Um, For D.C. folks, y'all remember Horse and Dickies was the fish spot, the fried fish spot that everybody would go to after partying in the clubs or, you know, being out too late. You would go to Horse and Dickies, get a fish sandwich, which would be like five pieces of fish. In between some wheat bread or white bread, and it'd be like it'd be so it'd be like a ridiculous size sandwich, like this thick. Um, but um, I mean, you know, we loved Horace and Dickies and had been there for decades and um, off of H Street and gentrification. Uh, you know, it wasn't COVID in that situation, it was gentrification, just like they kept building up the neighborhood, building up the neighborhood, and then it just kind of was like these long lines of hood folks for Horace and Mm -hmm. Dickies was no longer attractive for that neighborhood. Um, you know, we also Uncle Ben's Chili Bowl, you know, when yeah, uh, he's also yeah. pretty famous. And um, I think there was a minute where it was there was some concerns, but I think other people came in or the second generation family um, not only uh, doubled down because uh, when Obama became president when and Obama. went there, mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. it went from being just something that only people from DC knew about <laughs> Ben's Chili Bowl to being like an international sensation and. The lines were suddenly out the door, you know, so much so that right. they created a, a upscale restaurant right next door to Ben's mm-hmm. Chili Bowl, which also has some really great um, food. And um, Wes used to do the music um, there um, from Raheem Devon's mm-hmm. Urban mm-hmm. Avenue, um, Wes Felton. And so Felton, yeah. uh, he used to, mm-hmm. cur- yeah, Wes Felton used to curate the music there. I used to go up in there. So it was, it was cool. So, I mean, this is not new. Uh, these, Detroit, where I've also lived, there was a whole avenue that went through something similar, what you're describing with this Metro Links, where uh, Avenue mm-hmm. of Fashion, where they started this kind of supposed to be an upgrade of the streets. And it meant that people weren't able to park, you know, to go and peruse those businesses. And they tried to come up with alternatives to help people be able to still f- find parking. But then, then they start messing with the sidewalks and people couldn't walk on the sidewalks. It was a mess for those businesses. But I think that there was some like, you know, because there was definitely a community outcry. Because it was hurting. These are mostly black businesses um, who had exactly. withstood, you know, all of the the the, the horrors that Detroit <laughs> businesses had gone through during the lean years prior to the new reinvestment in Detroit. Um, they had stuck mm-hmm. it out, like they had survived, and then like here comes the 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 city's plans, you know, to supposedly upgrade it are actually hurting the businesses because it was more than a year. You know, if you imagine you running a business and people can't do foot, you can't get foot traffic business. People can't park in front of your right. business to be able to come and, and access mm-hmm. you. You know, even if it's, you know, they're like, oh, I love this place. But, you know, once they start going someplace else to establish new habits, 
that's your business. So um, right. there was some, I think the community or the, uh, the city might have done some investments and, you know, made loans easier for them to get some other things to try to help facilitate that process so that they didn't lose all of those black businesses on the avenue. But it takes that kind of intentionality. Like you just can't do these kind of transportation constructions, gentrification upgrades, and assume that these black businesses are going to be able to survive. They're, you know, a lot of us are paycheck to paycheck. The profit margins are slim. And Mm -hmm. um, even for those businesses, they're not able to access capital and credit the same way that white establishments are. I was going to say the loans. Yeah. You know, because those projects, those loans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you I were mean, saying, the small business they were put has been historically, ne- yeah, and they've been historically negligent to those businesses, right? Like, and and neglectful of those mm-hmm, businesses, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and providing them, you know, these kind of short-term opportunity loans when they see like something like this is going to happen. So I don't know. I, yeah. I think you have to. I don't know if, what Toronto is about trying to protect the businesses that they are harming. Or maybe that was, you know, some people conspiracy-minded and be like, maybe that was the plan all along. That's what I'm saying <laughs> as well. Trust me, it's, it's been said. It has been yeah. said because it, it's just that whole entire corridor has suffered so much. And of course, it's it's little Jamaica, so it's the predominantly black area, of course, right? So, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. All all of that, everything that you said, it's been put into place. So we'll just have to see how it's going to unfold. And we're hoping for the best. We really are. If, even if they have to close down their doors this weekend and then hopefully reopen under new management or funds that have been donated or whatever. Something so is else there a GoFundMe? Do you, are you aware of there's a GoFundMe campaign for it? Not yet. Everything started coming to light um, from last night. And then uh, news started to get a hold of it and everything today. So don't know what's next for them. They, they had put up a post on their um, social media, on their Instagram, stating that um, as of today that they are closing on Saturday and that they're going to look at other prospects and see what happens and they'll let us know in the future. But right now they're closing. So. Hopefully That's where it's at think, right now. Hopefully they consider a food truck. I mean, if it's that, as popular as you say, huh. you know, then you don't That's have to worry option. quite so much about, you know, what the neighborhood is or isn't going to do. Um, yeah, overhead. You know, mm-hmm. you know, or even a couple of food trucks, right? Like now, now you got some mobility to be where people are. Um, you know, it's and it's a less, it's a cheaper option, and then you aren't necessarily as vulnerable to rent rises. That is what often does do in these businesses. So, mm-hmm. well, that True. is a horrible. Just know, I hope that they uh, resurrect or save your patty, your patty, hope patty. So. Um, mine, uh, we're gonna pivot to mine and, uh, I'm gonna try to be quick because once again, we talk long and got silly, um, singer and former R&B divas, reality TV star Kiki Wyatt has announced her 11th pregnancy this time with husband number three, Zachary David Daring. Now Wyatt has only really known marriage since he was 18 years old when she got married to her then road manager, Ramat Morton, in the year 2000. She had her first four children in that marriage, including one that was stillborn. Um, the marriage was tumultuous. Uh, there has there was a very famous incident where Kiki ended up having to 
hurt a man and, and, and got incarcerated around that. Uh, so, um, but it was tumultuous and it was intimate partner violence um, that happened and eventually caused her to divorce him. Um, she had always maintained that she was only defending herself in those situations that he was the um, provocateur of those uh, violent incidents. Um, she then, in, you know, having divorced in 2009, she married Minister Michael Ford in 2010, who already um, entered the marriage with a child of his own. She'd go on to have five additional children with Ford, who divorced her in 2018 while she was pregnant and dealing with one of her children battling cancer. Now, the, the, the Internet was pretty merciless to Michael Ford <laughs> during that period because well we Great have seen thing. Kiki Wyatt on the TV show now some eight years ago so I'm supposed to realize the reality the R&B Divas was eight years ago um, and who knows what kind of help she's gotten and support she's gotten and healing she's gotten but she was she did appear to be um, a little disturbed on the show and so you know, people may have understood why Michael left. And he was very kind of like, he just can't take her no more in an open letter around why he was leaving her um, while she was pregnant with his child and while she was left to deal with a, ba- a child battling cancer, who survived the cancer, by the way. Um, so this turned around and then married her childhood boyfriend, Zachary David Daring, her current husband, two months after her divorce from Ford was confirmed. Daring and her would go on to have two more children um, before announcing this latest pregnancy. Now, instead of asking how Wyatt has managed to secure not one, not two, but three husbands back to back, (laughs) Uh, though the first two are arguably of dubious quality, right? Like we have Mm -hmm. abuser and a man who would leave a pregnant wife and child with cancer like i don't care what circumstances are that's a dubious person um the internet took to clowning kiki and comparing her to nick cannon um of eight Mm -hmm. children fame now there can be no comparison to cannon since all but two of cannon's children his twins with then wife mariah carey are out of the confines of marriage all of the rest of Cannon's children were with different women, some in different states. Nick himself has admitted there aren't enough hours in the day and that he doesn't get to spend as much time with them as he'd like, given his very demanding work schedule. He is one of the hardest working mm-hmm. men in show business with multiple properties and productions that he's a part of. Meanwhile, Kiki, woman of God, has only known marriage and children within the confines of marriage for 22 years. She's a stay-at-home mom when she's not touring to take care of her children, and she has a whole-ass husband right there to help her raise them children. Always has. She has only been single, now this for some might be a problem, but she has only been single for one year of her entire adult life. (laughs) One year and two months of her entire adult life has just been single. All her children appear to be well-fed and cared for. None appear to be in trouble with the law. Her oldest is turning 22 this year. So it's not like they're all in the same house right now. Some of these people are good and grown. And uh-huh. a handful are in their teens without any embarrassing TikToks or bad press right. moments. Mm. They are housed better than many of us and appear to not be reliving the tragic stories of the DeBarges. 
though they are equally light-skinned. Um, so <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see what's the problem. It's an insult to Wyatt to compare her to Cannon, who is a provider in finances only, not presence. Y'all said black women should have only have kids in the confines of marriage. Kiki Wyatt has done that. Y'all said black women should only have kids you can afford. She has done that. She ain't on the welfare. Y'all said black women be Christian. The lady sings God's praises daily and tours the church circuit. Leave Kiki Wyatt and her uterus, her very active, very fruitful uterus, alone. <laughs> right? and, check your and check your massage noir that would find mm. fault with a black with black women and their uteruses. Leave their names out of your mouths. It ain't your body. It ain't your choice. It ain't your your relationships. Mind your business. Mind Please, your business. And this you. made right? CNN. This wasn't even just black news, y'all. This made CNN. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there is a CNN news post about Kiki Wyatt and her eleventh pregnancy announcement. Like, why is the, like she's like Venus hot and tight? Like, why is this news? Why is this national? Does she have all eleven of the children at one time? Like, if she had had like done that, then yes, I could see the circus atmosphere around this particular announcement. Of course, but the woman, <laughs> the woman's had the children spread out over in years. her marriage. In her right. and that. So this ain't even doubling down with the Derricos. Y'all have been kinder to the Derricos, who I think have 14 kids between all of them uh, and, and a reality TV show. I, I don't hear near the, the shade towards the Derricos mm -hmm. that we have heard in the last week against Kiki Wyatt. So, what do you think mm -hmm. about this, Miss AMC, as a mother of one? <laughs> Are you feeling right? One and done. Yeah. but congratulations kiki number one number two y'all need to step the hell back and let the girl live okay don't even get me started about mr nick cannon because that's a whole other conversation about soaring your royal oats that's what that is kiki is here in her marriages she is doing what she's doing she's raising her children quietly in the confines of her abode leave her be again stop policing these women and their uteruses as you said please leave them be it's as easy as that people just fast and like to be in people's business and of course like to judge and um don't pay attention to the finer details right so like re read the small print it's not even small print it's all there for you to see just read it and you'll know. You know she's she's married. She's been in situations. She's everything is all family orientated. You're not hearing about her children on drugs. You're not hearing like all kinds of drama. There's not leave her be. She is not your business. Just leave her be. I think because the the the, the kids are in double digits. That's number one. Number two. You said a mouthful when you just said Venus Hot and Tot. That's that's number two. Um perspective is everything. So, yeah, these are really big things on the list that um, people are going to see and judge and uh, stay in their little corners and do what they do. I think Kiki is just fine where she is. Leave her be. Yeah, I, um, I mean, and some people really went in about 
the negligence of like no matter how much you love or take care of the kids, even if they're in the same house, it's not possible to give them all the time and attention that they need. I was an only child till I was 14. I spent an enormous amount of time by myself. Right? Like, it didn't matter that I had, like, you know, so, you know, my mom did have two more children later, like 14 and 18 years later. Um, so, you know, you don't have to have eight kids in order for you to have a child that spends a lot of time by themselves and aren't always observed. And, and I mean, not that my mother was neglectful, but she had to work. You know, mm-hmm. Kiki is a stay-at-home mom when she's not. Rick, my mom was working, you know, crazy hours so she can make ends meet. I was a latchkey kid from, like, age 10. <laughs> so, like, this idea um, that, you know, if you have less kids, those kids are somehow more observed, more have more presence, more time with. That's not necessarily so. I mean, and, and quite frankly, as I've said in uh, threads around this issue, until about 50 years ago, people having 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 kids was the norm for centuries. Yeah. Now, a lot of, of that course. was because of agrarian societies and we didn't have good birth control. And, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of those kids weren't necessarily wanted. And some of those parents didn't necessarily want to be parents. But the times and the, the constructs of the that determined those decisions around um, reproductive health and reproductive rights, which some mm-hmm. of which may be taken away from y'all real soon by the Supreme Court, <laughs> um, like dictated mm-hmm. a lot of things that does have some parents who are like, I was neglected in my eight kids family. Well, your mom might not have wanted to be a mother. My grandmother did not, you know, and my family might feel a way about me saying this, but my grandmother did not really want to be no mother. She damn sure didn't mm-hmm. want to be no mother to no six kids. And the second she could be free of that, sis put on her mini skirt and her um, Tina Turner hit wigs, and she hit them streets and it left them kids gone. to fend for themselves, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's my grandmother's story, right? Like, for real. The second she had yeah. an opportunity to break away from that those constraints and live the life yeah. she really wanted to live all along, she did that. So, I mean, like, so every story about, oh, my, you know, because there was a lot of kids, there's a lot that went into why some of those kids might have felt neglected. And they may not have anything to do with the fact that there were so many of them. Some of the people didn't want to be parents. I hear you. I hear you. For sure. I mean, there a lot of things, too, is that a lot of people, we're seeing everything from the outside and we're going to make assumptions. So we do not know what is going on in her four uh you know under her four walls under her four walls lord have mercy under her <laughs> roof lord uh, <laughs> we don't know what's we almost at the end of the stories <laughs> we don't know what's transpiring right and again like those kids you know usually you would already hear something you know what I mean? Something would have come up. Uh, a child would have been on TikTok talking about my mama this, my mama that. And if those kids were like unruly and disgusting, something would have come out already. So the fact that she's had her 11 children or, you know, 10 children and um, nothing has come out and uh, she runs her household the way she wants to run it. And it's clearly none of our business. We don't know what's taking part. We don't know how love is being dispersed. We don't know what we don't know shit. So all you can do is fall back. I I, I think uh, you know, privacy is, is a whole other thing. Um, 
I there of course there are always um exceptions like if there's abuse or something like that that's when you tend to want to know and and kind of just I don't want to say pry, but you, you want to know the facts. You basically want to know the facts. But in this case, there is nothing to report. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is not news. Nothing. So. And I remember when Kirk Franklin, I mean, and even if one of the kids, let's say one of the kids do come out with some, you know, Kiki's, I mean, because that's already in the ether, right? Like, that's already out in the world. Yeah. Kiki yeah. is somehow mentally unwell and this, that, and the other, right? Like, that's already kind of been floating around out there for years. I mean, if she doesn't do herself no favor, it's because she's silly, right? Like, she does all these kind of silly videos where she's rolling her eyes and, and, and acting a nut. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, again, it's been eight years since we've seen that show. But I remember when Kirk Franklin's son came out and was, like, talking about how his dad isn't who y'all think mm-hmm. he is and this, that, and the other. And, um, and mm-hmm. Kirk and his mm-hmm. wife have several children. Um, there was no kind of like, you know, the people were like, well, you know, defending Kirk and rushing to his defense. And it was like, we don't know what's going on in that household. We don't know what, you know, that child probably disrespectful. That child probably disrespectful. Right. <laughs> right. But I, don't, mm-hmm. I, 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 mm-hmm. I very seriously doubt if any of Kiki's kids were to do that. I think what we would get was as a very different narrative. I think we would get a narrative where it's like, oh, you know, we told you them children ain't being treated well like that with that crazy lady. Da 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 da. I don't see her getting mm-hmm, the kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. grace or presumption of innocence that Kirk Franklin got. You know, not at all. You know, because yeah. we're much quicker to want to believe something negative about the households of black women, and we we try to yes. act like that woman ain't married. Like some people kept saying, "Well, has she able to run that?" I'm like, she ain't by herself. There's a whole husband right there. And I and this is right. the thing that I actually was really disappointed about. I did not know that she that she had married her childhood sweetheart until the story either. broke. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like I'm, I want to know how that happened, right? Like, has he been pining for her <laughs> all this time? You know, because she got married Last at 18. So, so clearly this mm-hmm. was like a high school type of situation, right? So, you right. know, so, you know, they, that they came back together and we, you know, I want to know what that story, I mean, since we're not minding our business, let's mind our business or something. <laughs> Kiki, how did you and your True. high school boyfriend and, you know, where you was watching her go with the marriage is like, well, you know, I want to, so where's the interview for that? I want that interview. <laughs> You know, and the man is, is very, you know, he seems very thorough. She has a type child. She got, she like a little light skin, tall thing. Well, Michael wasn't that tall, but she like a little light skin thing in the life. But, um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, you know, stand up with black women's uteruses. I think that's the, the moral of the story. So today, Amen. folks, we do not have a stories you tell because y'all are shady and petty and y'all will not give up <laughs> y'all stories. So I just wanted, we, we real disappointed. I almost was going to put Anne-Marie on the spot, but because we are already at an hour and 42 minutes, we going to cut it off right after this. Because um, I was going to be like, Anne-Marie, give us a sex story that you ain't told nobody, but I know your mama listening. But, we, you know, <laughs> but we'll, y'all going res- to make us resort to pulling out sex stories from our past oh because y'all don't want to give us, send us the stories. So send us the stories, people. Otherwise, we have to go to the, the, the internet because you know the internet gives 
you know, she gives uh, she gives oh, stories. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It's so. a gift that keeps mm. on giving. So if y'all won't give us some stories, we will start pulling stories from the internet that are crazy to respond to. But we would prefer your stories. We want this to be a conversation. We want this to be an engagement. Yes. We want this to be community, y'all. Community. Hello. Come so, on. but until y'all get some act right, you know, no one will <laughs> tell you about stories you tell. Uh, and with that, we are done for tonight's episode. So, um, again, folks, if you have not done so, so far, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, share on whatever platform you're listening to or watching us on. Also, comment and review where possible so that we can climb the charts of the various platform algorithms this show is on. And now we are ending the show for just tonight. We'll see you in two weeks. Uh, what are the stories you're telling yourself? And what are the stories you're telling the world? Talk to you later. Gibson Gazette out. Peace.